folks. Good morning, everyone. Please um, continue to uh, have those conversations after church. If you've met someone for the first time, found a new friend, make sure you pursue that outside. Grab a coffee, grab a tea, and uh, enjoy fellowship together. It's, uh, it's great to be able to welcome you to church this morning. Jason and Susan send their love. They're in California this weekend at a conference and uh, having a great time. And those of you who didn't know, of course, Jason is on a bunch of leaves sabbatical, which has already started, and he's over in the U.S. for three weeks of that, doing that. So it's going to be a great time. We are praying for him and Susan over this next little bit of time that God really refreshes them and, uh, and just, just speaks to them in really meaningful ways that is quite difficult to do when you're in the cut and thrust of church and, and life back here. So please uh, be praying for them uh, where they are over there, which would be really, really great. If you're new to Gateway, then you may not know that in our holidays or in school holidays, we have what we call family services, which means that our kids, that is our preschool and primary school age kids and teenagers join us for worship at this time. And as as Andrew just uh, instructed, then they leave us at this time. And But around this time, of course, our teenagers stay in with us. And teens, I just want to uh, welcome you this morning, those teens that are here. We'll probably have a whole bunch more of them at 10 a.m., but if you're here as a teenager, it's great to have you, and uh, we love having you part of this service and part of these family services. Am I buzzing to you? No. You're looking good. Oh, thanks. <laughs> that wasn't quite the question, but that's good to know. I feel like there's a ring up here, but anyhow. When you see our kids and youth workers, though, you'll see that they wear a t-shirt that says generations courageously following Jesus. And uh, that is not a statement that has been chosen idly. It's a statement that we passionately believe in. You'll see it on literature to do with generations. You'll see it on the t-shirts. And it's part of our mission in generations ministries to help young people be courageous in their life in following Jesus. You know, we all need to be courageous. No matter what age you are, there's always at some point this ability to have to be courageous. When you're older, maybe it's in vocational choices or finances or family impacts. If God's asking you to do a certain thing, the obedience that you need to exert takes courage. There's no doubt we need courage as older people. But if you're a young person, your courage often is needed for different reasons. Oftentimes as a young person, it's all about identity formation. You're asking the question, who am I right now? What are the things that matter to me? What are the non-negotiables of my values? What are the values that I hear other people speak about? What are the values that I hear my church talk about? What are the values that I hear my parents talk about? What are the values that I think that I will stand for? And somewhere in this journey of being a young person, there is a need to make a stand for the values that you believe in, whatever that might be. And that takes courage. Because at some point, there's going to be a need to stand up for those values. The thing is about courage is this. We often talk a lot about fear and how we need to overcome fear with courage, be courageous. You know, we see that, that scripture speaks a lot about being courageous. But the question I always have is how? How do you be courageous? How, what do I got to do to be courageous? And I, I believe this this morning, that courage is learnt. Courage is learnt. Courage is not something that you automatically just have. 
Courage is something that you learn. Every time you make a decision to stand for something, you learn the ways of courage. Every time you face your fear but take action in spite of that fear, you learn the ways of courage. Every time you choose the narrow road over the broader, more popular way, you learn the ways of courage. Courage will cost you something to learn it. If it doesn't cost you, then it's probably not courage that you need. Because there is a point, there is a rub, there is a, there is a decision moment that happens that requires that standing up to take place and for courage to be formed. Courage teaches us how to feel our discomfort but take action anyway. Courage doesn't say there won't be discomfort. Courage doesn't say that it's going to be easy. Courage doesn't say that it's always just going to flow and once you've done it once, it'll be easy to do it the next time. But often not, that's not true. Often courage is a constant reinforcement of a behavior that you need to take. But the more you do it, the more you learn to be courageous. The more you learn to feel that sense of insecurity, but in spite of that, take hold of something that you believe is greater than life itself. That you believe is greater than the feeling that you're feeling. The thing you're reaching for, it makes it is more importance to you. Ralph Waldo Emerson, though I probably don't agree with his theologies on life, says this philosophically, which I think is quite true and quite powerful. It's going to come up on the screen for you. Courage demonstrates that a person loves an idea more than anything else in the world. That he is thinking neither of his bed, nor his dinner, nor his money, but will venture all to defend or advance the invisible passion of his heart. A person loves an idea more than anything else. And we'll venture all. That's when we need courage. When we feel like it's all on the line. Have you ever been there? Have you been in the place where you felt like it's all on the line? And you've needed to step into a place. And you've needed to feel confident that it was the right thing to do. I've been there. I, I'm sure many of you have too. That's what courage feels like. The step you take when at the time you're not sure. Nothing great is ever accomplished without courage. And young people that are here today, I just want to speak to you for a minute. Young people, what are the non-negotiables for your life? What are the things that you are already deciding will be lines in the sand for you that you will never, ever compromise? Because as you make those decisions, be assured you'll be tested. And when you get tested, you'll need courage. And that's when you'll stand up for those things that matter. And they will become a firm part of your life. This morning I want to look at three famous teenagers in the Bible. It's a great story. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And I want to read a large portion of scripture as we look at this story. But before we get to the part we're going to read, here's the preamble before this story began. These three teenagers lived in the royal court of Jerusalem. The royal court of Jerusalem, they served in that palace. However, they are under siege and the king of Babylon, who was called King Nebuchadnezzar, overpowered the city of Jerusalem and took captive the whole city, including all of its royal princes, 
of which these three were named amongst them. He took them captive and took them out of their environment that they knew into a foreign and pagan environment called Babylon, where he was the king. In that environment, the first thing he did to those three teenagers was change their name. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are actually Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. And the two names mean something completely different. One talks about each one of those three names in the Hebrew talks about how great God is in lots of different ways. God is great, God is gracious. The other three names talk about the gods of Babylon and how gracious and good they are. Their names were swapped, the gods were changed. It's an affront to their identity. The second thing they did was they became eunuchs. They were put, if you read the scripture, you'll see they were put under the charge of the chief eunuch, which I think implies very clearly that they were made eunuchs. Now, that is a horrific and brutal mutilation of a person's sexual organs. It's an awful thing. It's an awful thing that was a part of the pagan rituals of Babylon, but necessary in order for these three to serve in the royal court of Babylon. Thirdly, they were offered food, rich foods that had been sort of offered to idols in the, in the nation of Babylon, but they, along with Daniel, and you know that story from other parts of Scripture, refused that food, said they'd just have raw vegetables and other things, and of course they flourished in their body, and so the powers of be said, that's fine, you seem to be healthy enough, you don't have to eat these foods. The fourth thing they were offered was education. Not longer the education now in the ways of God and the ways of Yahweh, but now the education in the school of the Chaldeans. The school of the Chaldeans was simply a school for the occult and the magical arts. They were pagan spiritualities that were taught as the basis for all knowledge. And so it included child sacrifice, included all sorts of uh, terrible uh, acts that would take place, too uh, horrible to mention on this stage, that were part of the base uh, spirituality of Babylon. And they were taught that. And finally, they were asked to bow down to a god, a statue that had been erected in the plain of Shinar. We're going to pick up that story and have a read of exactly what happened. If you turn with me to Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, we're going to read this story together. Stay with me. We're going to read it in its, in its full chapter. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits and set it up on the plain of Jura or the plain of Shinar in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, we've now worked out he set it up. That's great. <laughs> then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, he said, all, O peoples, nations and languages, 
that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a fiery burning furnace. Or even the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid you. Uh, pay due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now, if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that the heat of the furnace be seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth, is like the Son of God. It's interesting. We're going to leave the reading of the Scripture just there. From that point on, they had Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Nebuchadnezzar made a decree after seeing that they had not been killed or burnt or not even the smell of smoke on their garments. He said, from this time forward, this whole nation will serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
There was revival in the nation of Babylon because of three young teenagers. Three young teenagers. I want to have a look at this incredible moment in history a little bit more. I want you to get, grab the gravity of their decision for a minute. King Nebuchadnezzar is having a massive festival. Don't think the Ecker. Think Nuremberg rallies. Hitler's Nuremberg rallies. I've got a couple of photos for you to see on screen. This was pageantry par excellence. Every nation that he had defeated around him, he had gathered together all the princes of all the provinces, all the places that Babylon had taken over, all of those leadership teams, governors, government officials, all gathered together, all of the people. There were flags, there was music, there was marching, there was demonstration of armies. It was all happening and it was a big deal. He constructs a massive idol on the plain of Shinar. What is the idol? It's the god called Marduk. The god Marduk, and we'll talk a little bit about its history in a minute, but it was erected there because Marduk was the principal god of Babylon at that time. And then he says, you're all going to bow down, and if you don't, I'm going to put you into the fiery furnace, not because it's waiting for those who don't obey me. Folks, the fiery furnace was there because that's where the child's sacrifice was taking place. So whilst they're all there celebrating, the children are going into the fire as we worship Marduk. It is horrific and pagan at its highest level. The fiery furnace is just convenient to put anybody else in there who won't bow down. Why? Because Marduk could not be violated. There couldn't be anybody in front of him that wasn't bowing. Now you've got to put yourself for a minute in the shoes of three teenagers these three teenagers have had their names changed. They're no longer called what their parents called them. They no longer have the future of their loins, the ability to be able to be mums or dads. These guys are three guys, but three dads. Not often the chance to be a dad. There is no future for them. Apart from the physical pain, on top of that then there is the teaching that they've been subjected to. Everywhere they turn, there are external influencers trying to teach them how to think and teach them how to act. Everything around them. The society they lived in was anti-Christ to the max. And it comes to the point where they must bow down now ultimately to this God, the God Marduk. Why is this God so important to Babylon? Well, you've got to go back 1,800 years. 1,800 years earlier than that, the great-grandson of Noah was called Nimrod. And Nimrod decided to walk east from where Noah and the clans were and came across and founded, he was a great and charismatic leader, he founded a city called Babel. And it was also became a tower. Remember the great tower of Babel that was built? That same tower was built to the god Marduk, the God of the Chaldeans, the God of, that, was, that was actually an antichrist in itself. Marduk, the patron God, was the God of human power and pride. He is a human in royal robes. If you read the Chaldean literature, he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the co-creator of human beings. He is the human that became God. Sound like anyone that you know? 
In other words, this was humanity exalting itself to the highest place they could. And the Tower of Babel for Nimrod was the establishment of that spirituality. Now God came and confused the languages and the Tower of Babel became no more and it became ruins. But now 1800 years later, the King Nebuchadnezzar had come back to that same area, that same plain of Shinar and had reconstructed an idol in exactly the same place as where Babel was. Babylon was simply Babel 2.0. And King Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilling this whole mandate that all of the area would bow their knee to this God. It was a big deal for the Chaldeans. Now why it's even more of a big deal was Israel's story. Because if you were about six generations after Nimrod was a guy called Abraham and he lived in the Chaldeans in a place called Ur. You might remember the story. And God said to Abraham, I want you to come out from these people and be a separate nation. I'm going to make you a great and mighty nation. And Abraham believed God and it became righteousness to him. So he left the Chaldeans and went out and founded the father of, he was the father of Israel. And Israel's God was a great God. And the name of Israel, uh, of the God of Israel, would echo around the region because this is the God that delivered them from Egypt, one of the great powers, part of the Red Sea. Amazing. Joshua, in the time of Jericho, the walls came down. All of the cities of Canaan destroyed. Why? Because the God of Israel went before them. This was a great and mighty God. But one of the final cities that the Chaldeans or the Babylonians couldn't conquer until now. This people called Israel had come out of Chaldea and formed another nation, but now the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, had taken them back. It is a great moment, folks. It is total world domination. Now we've got the context. Three teenagers. The idols there and the music's playing, what would you do? What would you do? The swell of gravity is absolutely pushing against you. It doesn't look good if your God is the God of Israel right now. Nebuchadnezzar is standing over the ruins of Jerusalem and it looks like that God is one in ancient times it wasn't about armies necessarily it was about gods if the armies won it was because the god was more powerful it was a god it was about the gods fighting together as well as the armies fighting together so let's come back to this festival now we're in babylon and nebuchadnezzar celebrating and there's flags and there's music the enemy's strategy for our young people has always been one of two things either annihilate them or indoctrinate them. Annihilate them or indoctrinate them. In other words, if we can get them when they're little, they can be sacrificed when they're little, then that's great. Well, it's not great, but it's great in that economy. Or if we can't annihilate them, then we will indoctrinate them. And the strategy of the enemy, as far as I see, has not changed in thousands and thousands of years. Just as Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah had their names changed from God is gracious, who is like God, Yahweh has helped, to now Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. The devil wants the identity of our young people. 
He wants to replace the identity of who God says we are, sons and daughters of him, with something, anything other than that. And if he can win the battle of the identity of our young people, then he can win the very foundation on which they stand. The second thing that he wants from our young people is he wants their sexuality. He wants to be able to distort it, mutilate it, reinterpret it, redefine it in any way possible so that it can cause the reproduction, the natural reproduction that God intended, the joy of family and all that can come from it to be in some way distorted. Thirdly, he wants the minds of our young people. If he can send them to a place where they can learn the ways of any other way except God, the ways of the Chaldeans, the ways of the magical arts, the ways of paganism, the ways of humanism, then he'll do that too. The God of Marduk is alive today because it's all about humans becoming like God. And science will get us there. Psychology will get us there. Sociology will get us there. All of those sciences are important. God made them and he's asked us to come in and discover them and learn how wonderful that he is. But don't think for a minute they're the platforms that get us to God. Not for one minute. They may show us the God we know, but God is bigger than the science that studies him. Fourthly, he wants their source of strength. He wants young people to eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. What's an idol? It's anything that has a worthless power about it. It has no real lasting power or satisfaction. If it be media, if it be music, if it be movies, if it be books, if it be fantasies about vampires, whatever it is, feast and learn from these things, but don't, whatever you do, find the true source of knowledge, which is God. And finally, he says, come, the devil would say, come and bow down and worship like everybody else is doing. It would be social suicide not to come and bow down. It would be career suicide not to come and bow down right now. Look, everybody else is doing it. Admit it. Your God can't save you right now. And I'd say, sadly, that our culture out there is speaking that narrative loud and clear. I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm seeing it in this, in this word. But this is what courage looks like. I love this part in the scripture, in Daniel chapter 3, where the three of them are brought forward and stood in front of the king, who is in a rage, and he confronts them about why they're not doing what they need to do. And they answer him by saying this. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods 
nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What I love about their response is this. It was respectful. It was respectful to the king, but it was strong. It was resilient. It actually presented the issue as it really was. They weren't teenagers that were caught up in the hype of the moment. Could you imagine being them? This is their life they're laying down right now. They are 12, 13, 14 or 15, somewhere in that age group. And they're now making this claim. They are saying our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't. They were respectful to the authorities above them, but they did not conform to its standards. And I reckon there's a model there for us as a church. It's okay to be... God is a God of grace. He's a God of love. He wants us to conduct ourselves in that way. But it doesn't mean we have to turn from the values and the things that are infused inside us. It's okay to, to face those standards and say no. It's okay. Young people, let me just talk to you for a minute. Never underestimate the power of your testimony and your confession. Never underestimate because people are watching you. They're watching you. And though you feel like in your world you're alone and at times you think, man, it feels like everything is against the way I want to live. Can I say this to you? People are watching. And you don't know the power that's in the conviction in your heart and then the testimony that will stand up. But if you will stand, people will follow. Because there is a great drought in our society of people who actually believe anything and are willing to die for the thing they believe. There's a drought for it. And I reckon if you know where your boundaries are, if you know what those values are you want to stand for, stand for them. Be courageous and stand for them. What are the non-negotiables of your life? What are the big ideas that you would sacrifice all for? I'm not saying you've got to do that today. <laughs> but I am saying this. At some point, the, the ideas that currently your parents may have, or this church may have, or some other authority in your life may have said to you, at some point, if you take them, you'll be tested. You'll have to make a stand. At some point, you'll have to stand for them. God does not have grandchildren. There's no such thing as grandchildren in the kingdom of God. If your parents are children of God, that's great. But it doesn't automatically apply to you. Teenagers, there is a point at times where the God of your parents becomes your God. And it normally happens at the point of courage, at the point of the stance where you say, this far and no further. I will not bend. The only way to learn that type of courage 
is to decide to make your stand. At some point, the God of your parents must become the God of your life. At some point, Christianity is more than just a good set of values and beliefs. At some point, my inner belief will be tested and a public stand will be needed. The public stand will come at cost. Make no mistake, it will. But revival came to Babylon because people made a stand. Revival came in the stand. Revival is in the stand. I want to encourage us as families at the moment. We're, obviously, we're in a, there's a lot of narratives in the Australian landscape right now. A lot. Yes, we've got a, a postal vote that's happening. That's one of them. There's many others, many others. And my heart goes out this morning to families, parents, grandparents, who are trying to have these conversations with their kids. Kids as young as three and four. And of course, right through into being young adults. And parents are feeling the burden and the pressure of how to have this conversation. How do I wade into this? How do I find out what's going on inside my kids' heads? How can I open up the conversation in a way that allows conversation to happen? It's a difficult time for parents. And we are praying for you as a church. We're going to be praying for you in a minute too. But this is a difficult time. The Generations team here at church have put together a bit of a night where we want to talk about this. On October the 17th, uh, Tracy Valentine, our Generations Pastor, is going to host this spiritual parenting night. But we're going to be talking about how to have a values conversation with your kids. That's That's the title. How to have a values conversation with your kids. It's not about saying these are the values you have to have. We're not saying that to you as a church. We're not saying you have to have it this way. What we're saying is what's your method? How are you going to go about having the conversation? No matter what you want to fill the space with, whatever content, that's up to you. You fill it how you want to. But no doubt you've got values you want to see talked about as a family. If that's you and you really want to work your way through it, come on this night. We want it to be here as a ministry to our families. We want our families to feel that there is a way of learning how to do this. As a dad myself, I don't don't know how to have this conversation either. It's a difficult one. It's a complicated one. And I need help probably just like we all do in having that conversation. So please, if you can, be a part of that. I hope it helps and blesses people here. Could we pray this morning? Father God, we just see such an incredible example in Scripture of men and women, but also young people through the course of time that have seen their God so clearly that they have been prepared to make the stands that are necessary to stand up for the God that they love, to stand up for who he is, who you are, and what you've done in our lives. Father, I pray for every person here, for clarity and for wisdom, for insight. Father, I pray that you would lead them and guide them as to what is the right place for them. And I also pray, God, for courage and respect that you would fill us with a grace and you would fill us with an ability, Lord, to posture ourselves within grace so that others can feel our conviction and know the God that we serve. Father, I pray for each person. Would you help them, bless them, and encourage them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
This morning, I'd just love us to pray for each other as a family. There's probably two groups of people that I'd love us to pray for across the auditorium. Firstly, I'd love us to pray this morning for workers, youth workers. If you're uh, someone that works within this, this church even, if you're part of our youth team here or kids team here, if you're another church and you serve here and you're here on holidays, you're also very welcome. If you work for an NGO or a not-for-profit organization in youth work, we'd like to pray for you. If you're somebody who is a policeman or a nurse that works in those fields or other related fields like that, working with young people, if you're a counselor, if you're a parent or a grandparent here, whatever it is, whether it's vocational or whether it's family, whether you're a sports coach, a tutor, whether you work across uh, other areas of religious education in schools, whatever it is you do, if you're connected to teens or young people and you're having it, your life is having an influence on them at the moment, I wonder if you'd stand. We're going to pray for you this morning. We're not going to embarrass you. Stand where you are. We're going to pray for you where you are. But we would like to bless you this morning, that God would move in your life, it would help you. I was speaking to a guy this morning at the 8 o'clock service as we prayed for him. He came up afterwards just in tears and he just said, thank you, I have been so discouraged. I have been so discouraged. I've felt like there's no end in the tunnel. If that's you today, be encouraged today. We want to feel that the presence of God, the Spirit of God would encourage you this morning as you go out doing your work. Your work is so important. Can I just exhort you this morning? It's so important what you're doing. Don't quit on it yet. Be encouraged to keep pressing into God. How can I be a greater influence on this next generation? We only get a small snapshot of time. A small snapshot of time. Be encouraged. I wonder if those around us, if we could just turn and see these people, could we stand and start to lay hands on them? So uh, I'm going to show you how to pray in a minute. I've got a bit of a thing we'll put on the screen. But for now, just gather around people wherever they're standing. If you're a teenager, you want to pray with us, come and pray for these youth leaders. If you're on our welcome team, whether you're rostered on or not, come and pray. Prayer teams, rostered on or not, pray. Section teams, rostered on or not, pray. If you're a leader in this church, come and pray. If you've got a heartbeat and love God, come and pray. Everyone can pray. Just lay hands on someone. Don't let anybody be standing where they're not got someone laying hands on them. Okay, I'd love us to pray out of Colossians, Colossians 1, for these people. These are the things I would love us to pray into, that these workers, these parents, these people will be filled and strengthened by the Spirit with wisdom and understanding, strengthened on the inside with all power, resilience to keep going. Three, renewed patience, in the seasons where things aren't changing, have patience and be fruitful knowing you're making a difference. That God would bring the increase. God would bring the fruit for all the work that you're doing. So I wonder in the groups that are around there, just pray all together out loud if you like. Pray around those themes. Pray as God leads. If God gives you a word for someone, make sure you give it to them. Come on, let's begin to pray now. Go.
Okay, just, just another 30 seconds. Just finish up the prayer as you're praying it. If you need to catch up with this person afterwards you're praying for, make sure you do. Father in heaven, thank you for every person that's standing. God, thank you for the call to the work of the ministry and the work that they are doing vocationally into the area of young people's lives. Father, thank you for how you've equipped each person that's there. Not one of them are ministering to this group without your call. Not one of them is there by accident. God, I pray today that you would fill each person and strengthen them with this, with your spirit. God, give them a clarity of insight and wisdom in how to have the critical conversations. God, give them a grace and a patience, Father, for the alternative view if they need to. God, give them the ability, Lord Jesus, to, to lead with empathy. God, to be a person, God, that can, can show the love of Jesus in the midst of difficult situations. Father, for those that feel like this is the end, they've worked hard for very little fruit. God, would you bring them to a new season of fruitfulness today? God, would there be a new door that would open? God, something, God, that would begin to break out for them. God, that would affirm they're in the right place at the right time. Would you help them, Father? Empower them, strengthen them, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for praying. That's great. While you're all getting to your seats, there's a second group I want to pray for, and that is our teenagers. If you're a teenager here today, between the ages of 12 and 20, would you come, stand out the front, we're going to pray for you. Come and just make a big pit of people out here. Come on, there'll be a whole bunch of you, don't worry, there'll be no embarrassment. Just come and stand out here. We want to pray for you. Parents and grandparents and other workers get ready I'm going to ask you to come and pray for them in a minute so don't get too comfy come and make this right across the front here what a good looking bunch the future of Australia is in good hands yeah come on come on down young people could I say this to you just before we all start to pray, could I say this to you? We love you. As a church family, we love you. We understand once upon a time, we were teenagers too. I know it's hard to believe, but it was true. And not that I think that really helps for me to say that because we're all at different times and different seasons facing different things. But we as adults, we understand what it means to have to make a stand. We understand the courage that's needed. And, and in this day and age, to be honest with you, I don't know how I would walk through the things you're walking through right now. We love you. We're for you. Even if you don't know that, even if there's been a secret prayer in your heart, you thought, no one really gets me, no one really understands what I'm going through. Can I tell you, we want to. We want to do life with you as best we can. So if there's a way that you can draw us in, we want to come in. On the other hand, we just want to be your greatest cheer squad. We want to be the people that will stand on the sidelines and say, go, because we believe in you. We believe that our future is in good hands. We want to champion you. And we want to be, you know, the people behind you that allow opportunities to open, that doors to open for you, 
so that you can grow and learn and become the adult leaders of tomorrow. So this morning, we want to pray for you. What we're going to pray, we're going to pray over you, Ephesians 1. And as that's coming on the screen, I just want to invite all those that want to come and stand with these young people. If, if, if you've got kids out here, come stand with them. You know, but if you're a youth worker or you work in ministry at some level, come, lay hands on these young people. We're going to pray Ephesians 1 over them this morning, that God would work in their lives in a powerful way. Make a bit of room in here, guys. Just spread out a bit so we can get into you. Maybe move up there a little bit further if you possibly can. Take up as much room as you like. Do what you do when you're at home. Just put your feet up on the furniture and, you know, throw food around or whatever you do. All right. We're going to do the same thing. You're going to pray together. Look, Have a look at the screens for a minute. We're going to be praying Ephesians 1, that you would be filled with wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. What that means is this is that you would know that you're a son and daughter of God. That you would know that God has a great love for you. That you would know His power that is in you is greater than the power that's in the world. It is. That power can talk to you. It can help you. It can show you the right way to go, the right choices to make. And we're going to pray that over you today, that God would be with you. Yeah? Amen? Come on, let's begin to pray. If you're not at the front, why don't you extend a hand and lend your faith to all that's happening here this morning. Go ahead, pray out loud. Just pray over them. Don't worry about being heard. Just pray. Just 30 more seconds. Keep praying. Keep praying. There is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. God moves. Things happen when people pray. I've asked Kath Talek to pray over us this morning. She heads up a magnificent youth leadership training organization in Australia that's trying to raise up some of the great new generations of leaders. Kath, why don't you pray for these young people? Father God, I want to acknowledge this morning that each and every one of these young people has a call and a purpose on their life created by you. God, when you created them in their mother's womb, you looked at them and you said, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I have a great purpose for you. And so, God, I acknowledge that each and every one of these young people has such a great purpose in the kingdom. Yes. And, God, I want to pray this morning 
that the young people here this morning who have accepted you as their Lord and Saviour would know the power of the Holy Spirit that's within them so acutely yes. and that they would walk in courage and in boldness in yes. the knowledge that they have a power within them that comes from heaven, yeah. that comes from a purposeful God, that comes from a God who loves his sons and his daughters. Amen. And so God, I pray that so these good. young people would walk in that power, that they would walk in that knowledge and yeah. we would see a generation of yeah. young people rise up. We would see a generation yes. of young people so powerful, oh, so God. full of purpose, so full of love from their father, that yeah. we would see this church change. We would see our communities change. We would see our nation change, God, and we would see our world change through the work in the hands of these young people. Yeah. We say thank you, God, for them. What a yes. blessing they are to yes. us as a family. Yes. What an incredible privilege it is yes. to pray for them and stand with them as brothers and sisters in Christ this yes. morning. So God, we send them out. We say thank you. We say bless them. And we say may they know the power of Jesus within yeah. them this morning. And we all said together. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah.